This is Christy Ogle, co-founder of Sometimes Spouse. Here is my story I'm sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Let's say connected. Follow me on Facebook under Sometimes Spouse, Instagram or Twitter at Sometimes Spouse, or on LinkedIn under Christy Ogle. I hope my experiences inspire you to jump out of the box life and live that life with freedom and flexibility to put your family first. I am an entrepreneur. I am a leader. I am a business expert. I empower others to live the life of their dreams and put their family first. I am a trap star. Hello? Hello. We're on. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So this is your first time uh, using the being a, a guest via anchor. So yeah, you taught me something new. Congrats. You know, first Thanks. time. It, it's Thanks. weird first time to figure it out. <laughs> did it come through automatically for you or did it just uh did you have to use the bell icon i used the bell icon okay yeah well like i don't know if you know this or not but i am pretty bad at intros so i'll just start the episode and then i'll segue it so that you can um introduce yourself that work All right, perfect. All right. Welcome to another episode of the most eclectic podcast in the world. It's another episode of the Trep Life Podcast. I am your host, uh, Pete Perkins Hurt, and I am here today with... Christy Ogle. I'm the founder of Sometimes Spouse the handyman and household service that helps people put family first. I love that. Um, And if you guys can't tell, Christy has an incredible amount of passion and dedication and pizzazz. And we're so lucky to have her on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, definitely have fun. Had a really good pre-episode conversation. And I've been really looking forward to this episode. Um, a lot of different experiences that have led on your journey, your story. You've been in so many different roles. Um, can you just kind of walk us through your background? Yeah, before sometimes spouse, I was actually, I've been a domestic engineer. I raised my kids and was a stay-at-home mom for the first five years of their life. And then I became a social worker with the state of Texas. And I worked doing that, helping kiddos with uh, intellectual disabilities. I was an advocate for them in the school systems and the state systems uh, for about eight years. And then one night uh, just came to me and my husband to start this business called Sometimes Spouse. So how did the idea come about? Well, it's kind of, it's going to take a few minutes. Do we have time, Pete? We have time. All right, cool. We're here for all of the long stories because they're all good. I promise. Oh, all right. All right. So I actually settled in for the day when I was a social worker and I settled in for the day. It was a Monday morning and I just sat down at my desk and my phone rang and it was my baby brother in Missouri. And he told me that my grandma had fallen ill and they didn't think she was going to make it. She was 94 years old. 
And so I immediately went into my boss who was in the office next to me. And I said, Tanya, I have to go. My grandma's fallen ill. I've got to go say goodbye. And she goes, no, I'm sorry. You can't go. You're the only one here that can do your job. So I started telling her that this was the woman that raised me. My parents were always in school. This was the woman I was always at her house. After school, I'd go to grandma's. I was there on the weekends. Any holidays, I was at grand's doing work and helping her run the farm because my parents were in college and working. And she said, I don't care. You can't go. You're the only one here that can do your job. And I said, I've got to go and say goodbye. She was like my second mother. She said, absolutely not. You're not going to have a job if you leave to go see your grandmother. And I said, I've got to go. She goes, Christy, if you leave, you're not going to have a job. Now, I had three kids and a mortgage to pay. So, of course, I stayed at that J-O-B. But thank God my little brother was a millennial, and he set me up via Skype that night to say goodbye to my grandmother. And my grandma and I had kind of a loving, fun relationship. Uh, I was a little bit older at the time when she passed away, so uh, we said some pleasantries. Like, I'd call her old lady, and she'd call me heifer, and we'd laugh about that. Uh, we were the only ones that could talk to each other in that way. And so... I talked to her and then at the very end of the conversation, you could tell it was getting to the end and she was getting tired, but she had something she wanted to tell me. She said, Christy, I want you to know you have a wonderful loving husband. He's amazing. He pays attention to you, treats you like a queen, keep him. And you have three beautiful children. You have an amazing family. Always put your family first. And it was like a kick in the gut, Pete. I hadn't done it that day. I had put my J-O-B first, not my family. I didn't get that last hug or that last kiss from grandma or the last touch of her hand. Instead, I stayed there for a paycheck. So she passed away that night, unfortunately. And... Thank goodness they had our funeral on the weekend so my husband and I and kids could go up to Missouri and say goodbye. And I stayed with her through the visitation. I stayed with her during the funeral and I stayed with grandma throughout the entire graveside. And when they were getting ready to lower her into the ground, something hit me. I felt like it was just her and I at the, at the graveside at the cemetery, but I know there had to have been other people there, but something hit me and it said, Christy, don't live a box life. What does As they're getting ready to lower her into the ground, I'm going, she had an amazing life. And I started thinking about it. She had always put her family first. She had seven children, 21 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren when she passed away. But grandma would sit there and she'd watch the television all day long. She never had a driver's license. She didn't work outside of the home. She really didn't travel at all. And my grandpa had passed about 30 years prior. And she would just wait for somebody to call her or for somebody to come and pick her up. She literally lived in a box, that house, for 30 years alone waiting for somebody to call or come pick her up. She lived within three miles of her home. She really didn't go any further than that three miles from her home because that's where all the family lived. 
So I started looking at my life as a social worker when I went back to Texas. I started looking at it. I thought I didn't live in a box life. I don't know what that meant. And so I started looking at it a couple of days after that. And I started realizing I too was living the box life. I would wake up and eat box cereal and feed the kids box cereal for breakfast. I'd send them off in a box to work. I'd take that box and I'd car and I'd drive it to work where I'd work on a box all day long until it was lunchtime. And I'd go get a box lunch and I'd come back and I'd work on the box all day long. I'd drive that box car back home where I'd make dinner, which was usually macaroni and cheese and hot dogs a box dinner, because that's all we could afford. We were living paycheck to paycheck back then. And then I would sit there and I'd watch the box for three or four hours. And I'd go to sleep in a box and I'd wake up and I'd live that box life. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd repeat, wake up and repeat that box life and go to sleep and wake up and repeat that box life. And I thought, this isn't my life. That is not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to end up where it's just family. I want more of a rounded kind of life where I travel, money, influence, adding value to others to be, do, and have more than that box life. And so one night while I was watching the box, Lester Holt came on the nightly news and he told about this woman that lived in the South that she broke out of this box life. She'd worked a corporate job for 40 years and she got tired of it. And so she started this organization company in the South and with this organization company, she'd replaced her income within just a uh, year's full year, year's time. And so I thought, well, if she can start an organization company, I can start a handyman and household company. So I rewound it and watched it again. I rewound it, and watched it again. And then my husband came home. He's eating that box of dinner and I couldn't wait for him to get that last bite in his mouth. And I could tell him all about this great idea that I had. So I show him this woman and in the interview that she'd done with Lester Holt. And he goes, what do you want to do? Start an organization company? And I said, no, I want to start a handyman and a household cleaning company. You be the handyman. I'll do the cleaning and I'll rope my best friend into it too. And we'll make an extra $500 a month to pay the car payments and have extra money to travel. And he said, you know, that's a great idea. So we rewound it and watched it again. The next day, I had a meeting with my best friend at Johnny Carino's where I had written up pictures on a piece of paper of how we were going to start this handyman and household cleaning business. And so from that box life, sometimes spouse and putting family first was born. And three weeks later, we launched a business, Pete. You said three weeks later? Three weeks later, we launched Sometimes Spouse. Just three weeks later. you so Yeah. Those convergence of events just crystallized everything for you. And that was the catalyst. Yes, sir. That's awesome. So when you, it seemed like everyone was receptive when you first presented the idea. Yes. Your, they, your partners, I mean, you know, the rest of the world doesn't count, but the people that yeah. mattered. Yeah, the people that mattered were the two business partners were in. My husband and best friend and I were all in. Uh, we were going to do it 10 to 12 hours a week, part-time while we were doing our full-time job. Now, my brother, who is a doctor, thought I was insane. And he told me to just go back to college and get a master's degree and start teaching at college level. My sister-in-law, who had a master's degree, said, you're stupid. Don't leave that job. It's a full-time job. You've got benefits and insurance. Don't leave it. And my mom thought I was crazy too, because I went to college to be a social worker. So she said, keep doing it. 
don't leave. And I said, well, we're just going to do it part-time. But when I did leave that full-time job about six or eight months later, and my husband did too, when we both left, they thought we were, they were insane. They said, you're not getting any money from us. So we don't want any money from you. We just want you to support us. But they never did really support us in the business journey. Yeah, just saying. I wish you the best and, you know, just a positive word, some affirmations. Yeah. Th- th- those are worth more than the money. Yeah. You know, because how much money realistically would they be able to give? Like, you know, 5,000, 10K maybe, if that yeah. at yeah. most. Mostly it's going to be 500, 1,000 here if if they could manage that, you know. Maybe yeah. I think the, the range is 1,000 to 300 when you get money from – your family members, that's the max that they'll more than likely going to give you for most people. The yeah, that won't feed three kids for very long. Right. So, <laughs> but it, it's a positive word, motivation, that helps mm-hmm. you during the hard times sustain yep. and carry out. But a lot of times when you turn to entrepreneurship, you don't get that. No. No, you don't get it at all. The people that steal most dreams are your friends and family. Because they'll say, don't do it. That's stupid. That's hard work. Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Do it. Right. Yeah. And so um, my thing is, I'm I'm not scared of hard work. I, I like hard work. I want to work hard. Yeah. You know, I want to work hard. I want to work smart. I want to do it all. But um, to me, it's all about the the end result. If the end result is something I want, then I'm all for it. I'll do whatever I need to do to get there. Yeah. And um, I think that's very counterintuitive to a lot of people mm-hmm. and so You're right how do you motivate yourself and then motivate your team because i'm sure your best friend was getting it from her family as well right yeah they thought she was it she was crazy so she actually my best friend lived she just went through a terrible divorce she was a single mother and she lived with her parents in an extra bedroom because she just went through that divorce And so we started sometimes spouse to make a little bit of extra money. And her dad was an entrepreneur. He owned a furniture store. So he kind of understood it. But she was one of the first ones in her family to ever go to college and get a good job, right? So her parents, when she moved out of their house to get a house on her own within six months of starting sometimes spouse. And then as soon as she moved into this new house, she quit her job. They thought she was literally insane because they had no clue that a handyman and household business could bring in that much income to her. And, and I, I think a lot has to do with personnel. I don't, I think there are a number of people who probably could have gone into the same industries that you went into and have wildly different results. Mm -hmm. I think it was the bond between, everyone involved and how you all stuck together and the experience to catapult you to that next area. Yeah. Well, we were really lucky by the three that formed sometimes spouse because in business, a business owner is one of three things. They're either a skilled producer, an entrepreneur, or they're a manager leader. So the great thing with sometimes spouse, when we started it, As a business owner, at your core, you're one of those three things. And if it's just you in business, you've got to rapidly learn how to do the other two. Me, myself, I'm a manager leader. 
So I can say, we need to do this, this, and this to get to that point. I can tell you the strategy we need to do to get to the point we want to get to in business. But then Crystal would go, she was the skilled producer. She wanted to make sure that even though I was managing and leading, that I was accountable for the things I said that we were going to do and that we were going to make sure that we're going to get done. And then Max was the entrepreneur. He takes the risk every time. He'll start a new business. We've got about 10 different businesses now that we run. We'd have 100 if Max hadn't had a choice about it. But that's the cool thing about all three of us is that we're, we know what we're really good at and we stay with what we're really good at. Now, I've learned to become an entrepreneur and I've learned to become a skilled producer. But those three core values for business owners to be successful were with us from the very beginning, even though we didn't know that's what it was in the beginning. We didn't know about until three years in what the difference was in business owners. Can you give us those definitions one more time? I love them so much. They're just perfection. So the first one is an entrepreneur, the person that'll take the risk, the person that'll jump into the fire, um, even though they don't know where it's going to go. The skilled producer, the one that can do the work. So Crystal was great at cleaning and the operations of getting cleaning done. She's amazing at systems and making sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And me, I'm kind of the the hammer. I am the manager leader. Okay, this is what we need to do to make sure that this goes correctly. This is what we need to say. This is how we need to act. We've got to fake it until we make it. All of those things come together and they make like a beautiful business when you have all three of them. If you're just a skilled producer and you want to go out there and swing the hammer all day and be a handyman, you're not going to be good at marketing and sales. You're not going to be good at financials. So you have to learn to be good at all of those things. And I, I think most small businesses are owned by skilled producers. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say probably about 85% of all small businesses are owned by skilled producers. And still people that purchase franchises today are buying themselves jobs. Yeah. To be skilled producers, they don't understand those other two levels. Yeah, they, they, they can't get into the leadership aspects or the entrepreneurs seeing the whole vision. They might Mm -mm. not have a vision that they can obtain. No, they don't see that bigger picture that's to come. And yeah. And then what would you say the, so we have 85% for skilled producers, small businesses, you would say, I would say maybe two to 3% for uh, just manager leaders. Probably. I was going to say there's a larger percentage of entrepreneurs that take yeah. that risk, but boy, once it gets hard, yeah, they don't want to do it anymore. They'll, they'll get out because at one point an entrepreneur is going to have to learn how to do the skilled producer's job at least. Yes. Because there are a lot of businesses where you have a, like a, a strong entrepreneurial 
a person in mind, right? A strong entrepreneur. And they eventually learn how to do the skills side of things, but they're not a leader. And then there's not a leadership culture. There's no one around that is a good leader, mm-hmm. but there's, they're just making money because the, there's a certain business element that's making sense for in the market at the time. And usually those will eventually collapse, but mm-hmm. for a time period, you can make some money doing that. Yeah. Or, you can make a good living. Yeah. For, uh, but then, then it's, it's going to come to a halt because the market will reset when you have what you have with sometimes spouse, which is all three going mm-hmm. and eventually all three will get together and form something. And that that's when a business becomes unstoppable. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> So how have you balanced being an entrepreneur with motherhood? That was one of the hardest things to learn from the very beginning because we wanted to do this to start spending more time with our families, but it took a little bit away from the families in the beginning. My kids were pretty young, so I would do it on my lunch hours when I went into work in the evenings, I probably did do a little bit of work on the clock. I shouldn't have probably done. And I totally frown upon that now as an employer, but I would do it when they were at soccer practice. And instead of just wasting that time, I would work on the business. My kids were pretty young. Like I said, they were like five, six, and seven. No, they were probably about 10, 11 and 12 when we started the business. And now they're all 16, 17, and 19. So I actually started incorporating them into the business to spend more time with them. Didn't mean that I took kids to the job or anything like that. But what I did do was have them fold flyers and pay them. Have them pass out cards when we were at events and I would pay them. And that meant it more of a family activity. And now in the summers, they all work at sometimes spouses, handyman, housekeepers. And my 19 year old is going to college and working two jobs right now because she wants to eventually be a sometimes spouse owner. So she is a receptionist and personal assistant for me um, because I've groomed her her entire life to work for mom. But I also wanted her to see a different aspect of the working world, not just working for mom and dad and aunt crystal that they could actually see that there is a different way that people run their businesses. And she worked a couple of different jobs that they didn't have a culture, like sometimes spouse, a vision, a mission um, to put family first. They just wanted people to have bodies in there and do jobs. And I mean, she would come home and she'd go, mom, I can't believe that people are actually running a business like this. Like they didn't train me at all. They cuss at us, all kinds of stuff. She didn't stay there very long until she found another position where they, have a culture, they have a vision, they have a mission, and they treat their employees beautifully. And so she could see the different aspects um, going through business, but actually having this business has brought my family closer together. I work day in and day out with my husband and best friend and partner in life and partner in business, Max Ogle. I work hand in hand with my best friend. Um, Most people hang out with their best friends, you know, once every Every few months, I get to hang out with my best friend every day. Doesn't mean we're in here just chatting 
or gossiping. Right. We don't ever gossip, but um, we we actually work on building our vision, our mission, our culture, and helping one million two hundred four thousand seven hundred thirty-two families put their family first instead of you know wasting that time that you're put on this earth. We're actually making the most of it and helping other people do the same thing. Can you expound upon uh, that campaign that you're doing right now? Campaign. Do you mean the 1,204,732 people? Yes. It's really not a campaign. It's our mission at some time, spouse. And everything that we do in every business that we have, our mission is to put people, help people to put their family first. The average family only spends about 36 minutes together a day. And most of the time that's on a screen of some sort, a phone, a tablet, a computer, a TV screen. So the time of a sitcom is when families actually just sit down together every night. Kind of sad, right? Um, that you, you don't spend time with the people that you choose to live this life with. And so we all sat down and we said, what's some of the biggest issues in America today? And that the American family is falling apart everywhere. Families aren't spending time together. Families don't enjoy each other. Families don't even know each other, right? Even though they live as roommates in the same house, they're all controlled by this remote control of their life, the telephone. So what we do is we help customers put their family first by taking care of those honeydews and home repairs and home chores that they don't have time to take care of because they're working 50 and 60 hours a week. And also we help our employees because we only work eight to five Monday through Friday. And we help our franchisees by helping them have that freedom flexibility in their life so that they can put family first and make an amazing income with sometimes fast. So your experience in entrepreneurship uh, and with sometimes spouse, what it's allowed you to do, you wanted to take that experience and give it to a million people. I keep forgetting the number. Yeah, one million two hundred four thousand seven hundred thirty-two. It's a big number. It's a big number, but you're doing it. Yeah. And so now, so going back to families, how has your family, how has all of your families? Crystal's family, your family responded to the success of Sometimes Spouse? You would think it would be all roses and butterflies. That people would just love everything you do. We've got a ton of raving fans that do love everything that we do. But I'm not going to lie. It has, there is some of my family that don't speak to us because of the successes that we've had in business. It's not that I speak about it, but I think it rubs them the wrong way that you were successful without a degree, uh, an elevated degree. So some people, it, they've been raving fans and they've been cheering for us for day one. And then some people are like, they're living the thing that I wanted to do, but I just didn't go out and take the action for. So we've had it both ways, which is shocking. You would think that your friends and family would always be raving fans, but some people don't like to see other people be successful. Especially when they, based on their estimation, they weren't going to be successful. Yes. You know, people that they had wrote off or whatever. Yep. So, they, I don't get that. I don't get how you can't just say, you know what? I was wrong and I'm happy for you. 
Yeah, it doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. But I, I'm a firm believer that life happens for you, not to you. So the universe takes those people out of your lives and brings people that are much better and they help you grow. Right. And, and I, I think even the we grow from our challenges, right? That's the because yep. growth isn't comfortable. No. If you think about it, some of the most painful things in life are those things that make you the strongest, that make you better. I mean, childbirth is excruciating. It's just awful. And if people knew how much pain it was in the very beginning, I don't know why we would ever have children. But it's the most rewarding and the most beautiful thing in life. But it's also one of the most painful things. And, you know, from the loss of a loved one, loved ones to, you know, car accidents and businesses not taking off or whatever it may be, those things happen to us for a reason. I call them character building days or character building years or character building months. You could even have a character building decades, I suppose. So all that character building should lead to something ultimately. Um, how how are you able to, even despite those character building times, able to still um, be a source of generosity and spread goodwill, even during challenging times? I am a... I like to study Tony Robbins. Um, he's been amazing. He's been a mentor to me, even though he hasn't been, he doesn't even know he's a mentor to me. And one thing he said to me um, at one of the trainings or conferences I, I was at, you know, when it's Tony Robbins, you feel like it's just you and him in the room, even though there's 10,000 of your closest friends. And one day he said, you know, I've done things and I'll, I've had some major accomplishments, but sometimes I just didn't feel for, fulfilled, right? Uh, kind of like Robin Williams, you know, he was the best yes. comedy actor and then he went and did a drama and he got so many awards and he's making millions of people laugh across the world, but he was never fulfilled. And unfortunately, we lost him several years ago. The secret to living is giving. So even if I'm having a bad day, I'm still looking to add value to other people's lives. No matter if I'm getting kicked in the face in business or in my personal life or whatever it is, I always want to give to others and add more value because that is the thing that lights me up like a Christmas tree. So doing things like podcasts and going to speak at events, I just want to add more value to my people, to my community's lives. And I think that even if I get through to one person, I'm giving something. I'm leaving that family first legacy. Whether it's a mom who she doesn't know that she's not paying attention to her family or a grandma who hasn't talked to her grandchildren in five years and thinks, I need to pick up the phone and call. You know, I don't know how many lives I'll touch with what I'm doing, but that's my mission every day is to touch lives and add more value and bring more valuable things into their life, which is family. It's not about money. It's not about trinkets. It's not about cars or houses. Those come along, 
but they can come and go. But the true thing that you always have is your family and always put them first. And they'll remember that on your deathbed, your kids aren't going to remember that TV show you watched, that meme you looked at or something on Facebook. They're going to remember those memories that you made with them. That's something that will leave a legacy. That's something that will be passed down from generation to generation. And so to do that, you were talking, you said earlier, you used the term vision and mission. Is, are those interchangeable or, or is there a distinction between them? Well, our vision is to help 1,204,732 families put family first. And our mission is to help people put their family first. So they are interchangeable, but they are a little bit different. So that vision is what we're working towards in the next 20 years. But that mission is happening every single day. So even though we're at 10,000 plus families, we've still got to keep that vision in mind. I've still got to remember I want to affect not just 10,000, not just 20,000. I want to help 1,204,732 people put family first. It's something big for us to go to. And that makes your mission clearer when you have a bigger vision. I like that. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. You're able to take those harder steps, take more risk when you have clarity in what the big picture is. Yeah. So talk to me more about the podcast. I think I've listened to maybe 50% of the podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I did binge. It, you make it so easy, you know, because the episodes are, is there even like a 10 minute episode? There might be a couple 10 minute episodes way back when, yeah. when I first started it over a year ago, but most of our podcasts are about three to seven minutes a piece. We yeah. just wanted to put little nuggets out there. So Max Ogle, one of the co-founders and my husband, he does a handyman tip for every single week. My best friend, Crystal, another co-founder does house cleaning and eco-friendly tips for the home. And then I do business tips every single week. And originally I started it off as it was just me doing the podcast. But then I was like, people want to hear from the other founders of Sometimes Spouse. So we're continually evolving the podcast. I'm even going to a three hour podcast training tonight to learn more about podcasting. Cause that's the thing I want to get really good at. Cause you know, there's so many people that listen to podcasts right now. Yes, definitely a hot market. It is. Um, so what led to the decision to make it so short? People are busy. So we wanted it to be extremely short so they could just sit there, listen to it and go on. And like, if they want to binge watch and, or binge listen, yeah. I suppose, yeah, and listen to 10 episodes in 30 minutes, they can do that. They don't have to just listen every week and listen to us go on for an hour. We just want to be quick and simple and be able to add tidbits of knowledge for folks. And it's way different than the majority of podcasts that are out there. Um, so we wanted it to be different and add value to people. I think they're... I think there's a, a mix of podcasts out there right now. There's the extensive um, podcasts, which are more than an hour and a half. Then there, I think most podcasts are following the 
anywhere between uh, 45 to a little over an hour range. Mm-hmm. And then there's the shorter ones that are 20, I would say like 25 minutes and less. And so I just think you have to figure out what works for you and what you want to present out. Yeah. And just kind of be consistent with it, you know, because I, I can listen to a, I, I'm less likely to listen to really listen to a three hour podcast because mm-hmm. I really have to get value from that content. Um, so I think starting off, I think you have to have a base before you do that. Um, but I, I think, I think the shorter format is great for what you guys are doing. It's, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I've personally have binge listened to it and, um, I like it. I like how there's different people and, um, you all have your own styles and I, I actually become interested in whatever anyone is saying, Mm -hmm. but you had one episode that I kind of wanted to talk to you about because I, I didn't get to kind of hear it. I think there, I don't know if I like hit the wrong episode, but I, there, you had a title called um, how to pick your first employee. Uh huh. Tell us about that. How do you go about picking your first employee? Well, it's so hard to even get to that first employee, right? Yeah. Because when you get to that point, you're like, Oh, I'm giving up my profit. And you're like, I could do it. Like, I don't need somebody. So it's a really hard kind of in a control issue when you get that first employee. That's one of the toughest things to do is to hire somebody and let them, you, of course, manage it. But to actually find that first employee, you have to find people that really work with you. And I can honestly say my first employee is not still with us. Um, You have to find somebody that fits the culture of your company. That, and remember that whoever you hire, it's not their business. So it's not going to ever be as important to them as it is to you. And that's a hard thing to kind of realize, even though you're paying their, their salary, you're, it's not theirs. So it's a little bit different. So hiring that first employee, you've got to go through about 10, 15 people um, to get a couple of good interviews. And then you want to see who fits best with you, who can do the skills that you need them to do. You don't just hire them because you like them. You've got to make sure that your employees can actually make you money and not cost you money. That's so deal. you have to be very careful. And if they don't work, fire them, hire somebody else. Because the worst employee you can keep or the worst employee you could have is the one that's on the fence. You want somebody that's in or out. You don't want somebody in the middle. You want somebody that's in. So fire early. Definitely. Fire quickly, hire slowly. Yeah. I agree with that. You waste Mm -hmm. a lot of time, especially trying to work things out with someone that doesn't want to work things out. Yeah. the hardest thing for employees to do too is I always get that call like I've never fired anybody before how do I fire them well it doesn't have to be a bad thing the girl that I've just fired recently she's been with us for four years and I brought her in and she was like the second family right uh-huh. I'd seen her get married um, she went to college everything and I just said it's 
not working out. And she goes, I know. And I said, it, you're just not focused at work. You've got a lot of personal things going on. It's probably time for you to really focus on your personal life for a while. And she goes, I know, Christy. And I said, I love you to death. And she's in tears at this point. I said, I love you to death. If you ever need anything, if you ever need a reference, if you ever need anything personally, you can call me. I still love you. And she goes, I know, Christy, but it's just business. And I said, it is. This business has to work. And we have to have people that are working in it because I'm not just supporting me and my family now. I'm supporting hundreds of others with sometimes spouse and the brand that we're building. So I need somebody that's here all of the time. And even after I had the let, I don't even think I said the words fired to her. I just said I had to let her go. Um, she stuck around for two hours, hugging everybody, talking to everybody. She didn't have a bad word to say about us. And I don't have a bad word to say about her. But sometimes in business, you've got to make those tough decisions. And it is hard and it ripped my heart out. But I had to get back to business and get back to doing what I was doing. And she understood. She knew how it was. She knew it was business. But I think it also, for you, it's different because you built a genuine relationship with her and you are mm -hmm. a genuine person, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it's different when those relationships aren't being built, when there's not that supportive culture. Because mm -hmm. when you said, uh, you know, I, I do love you as a person and I'm here for you and I want the best for you. You actually meant those words. That wasn't just firing HR talk, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when people are being fired, those words are said, but they're not genuine at all. Mm -hmm. and so um, I think her reaction is is because of how she was of the culture that you built and how you treated her and her, her tenure there all the experiences so mm -hmm. I just want to say kudos to that well thank you because that's, that's and, and, and it makes it kind of you know hard to do but it was something that needed to be done because mm -hmm. you know difficult conversations yeah but kind of take us through uh franchising yeah so when we started sometimes spouse about six weeks into the business we had a a reporter do a news story on us and that news story went viral so when it went viral, I had people, we did, ended up doing interviews from coast to coast, from California to New York to Florida and everywhere in between. And I didn't know what I was doing back then. And so they all contacted us wanting to franchise the business with sometimes spouse and no, no, we're not franchising quite yet, blah, 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 blah. And so about five years or about three years later, somebody called us that they put their foot through a ceiling. And when you put his foot through the ceiling, my husband went out to do an estimate at his house to fix the hole in the ceiling. And he actually had started franchising his bug business. And when my husband started saying, talking to him and he learned that he'd franchised his bug business, he goes, my wife would love to talk to you. Uh, can we have lunch sometimes? So Patrick called up here to sometimes spouse before my husband even got back to the office and said, you want to have lunch? I franchised my business. I think you guys' business is franchisable. 
They said, oh, not yet. We want to wait about five to 10 years. He goes, come have lunch with me. So I said, okay, let's go to the Baylor club. So we went to the Baylor club for an hour long lunch and it ended up taking three hours. And uh, the next week we got together, he was going to help us start franchising our business. And uh, within six weeks, we started setting up systems, operations, manuals, everything we needed to do to franchise our business within that six weeks. And then the following year, we started selling franchises and that took a little bit longer. It took us about six months to sell our first franchise. We actually sold our first two franchises in the same day. Wow. Yeah. And then we've been franchising ever since then. And uh, we've helped hundreds of people get into the business. About 46 are actively um, working in the business right now. And uh, we continue to open new sometimes spouses all throughout the state of Texas. So you're just in Texas right now? Uh, we're in five different states. We're in um, Texas, New Mexico, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Okay. Are you planning to come to different coast or do you just kind of like being in that region? Is there something about that region that appeals to you? Well, we're like Whataburger. We wanted to start in Texas. We're just not going to sell off to Chicago like they did this summer. But we started in Texas because <laughs> we know Texas, right? This is where we're, we've yeah. been for the last 13 years. And so um, in 2020, in June of 2020, we're actually going to do a nationwide campaign. And then we plan on going worldwide in 2025. So we have plans of expanding to other territories and markets. But we focused on Texas, just like Whataburger did for so many years. We're just doing it a little bit quicker than they did. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Kind of. I get to kind of still see the rise of sometimes spouse and see yeah. take over the world. So yeah, world domination. That's what we want. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's what you're here for. You build a brand and then you can expand it. Yeah, exactly. So how have things changed from an organizational standpoint as you've built the business? How has everyone's roles changed or remained the same? Like, what are some constants? What are some differences? Well, you've always got to continually innovate with the company uh, because technology is changing rapidly. So now we have an app online, whereas five or six years ago, we never would have thought of even doing that. I don't even know if apps were around back then. Like so the way that we have advertised has changed tremendously too, because we used to do um, articles in the newspaper. We wouldn't ever advertise in the newspaper now. So we have changed a lot of things over the years, but our roles have stayed the same. So Max is still uh, the operations guy, he does the, he still does estimates in Waco, Texas. We still own Waco, but one thing we've learned is it's best for one of the owners to be involved um, in the business in some capacity. So Max still has his hand in Waco. Crystal's the CFO and I mean, it went from paying us 
and paying a couple of our bills to now we have several employees that we pay all throughout the state. And then me, the role has changed. It's not just marketing and sales now, but I'm actually the leader of the company. So I'll look at something and I'll say, okay, this is great. Okay, this needs to change. And then we have to innovate and change it. But we've learned a lot of hard lessons over the years. Like at one point we sold our baby, which was the Waco, Texas market. And we, he took it from almost six figure or almost seven figures in sales and nosedived it to under six figures in two years. So we had to uh, acquire it back and we had to rebuild it. So that was a painful lesson. You know, you totally get out of running the day-to-day -day and now you're back in running the day-to-day. -day. Uh, so that's changed a little bit. And now we do the day-to-day -day and we, I mean, we kill it uh, in Waco, Texas. And we're the fastest growing franchise in sometimes Spouse Nation. It's just what we've taught everybody else to do. Uh, we did it again. And we've shown that you just do the same things over and over and over again, and you get the same results if you do it right. That's great. Mm -hmm. Christy? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. I think the app is going in and out on us really quickly, so just oh, no. be mindful of that. But, yeah. Um have, just have a few more questions for you um know how busy you are but i do appreciate you coming on the podcast so tell us about some inspirational books that you would recommend oh man number two books to read in entrepreneurship number one how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie go get it listen to it on youtube tonight this yeah, it's will... on youtube you don't even have to buy it yeah you can this one will change the way that you work with people, how to win friends and influence people. The second one, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. You can get that one on YouTube too. You don't have to purchase it. Learn that book. Study that book. It will change your life. I'll put those in the links. Yeah, they're amazing. You don't even have to go to YouTube. He's putting them in the links. That's amazing. Yeah. So those two what are some podcasts that you listen to and what listen, and why do you listen to those podcasts in particular what are you seeking from them uh tony robbins i listen to the tony robbins podcast uh he is amazing he talks on entrepreneurship joy happiness and how to live the best life and in suffering in your life so that is a podcast i listen to he isn't Maybe once every few weeks, he's not real consistent on it, but uh, the, his is about an hour or so long. It always adds tremendous value. Whatever it is you're listening to with him, he's got people from multiple different businesses to nonprofits, and it's just amazing. He knocks it out of the ballpark every single time he interviews somebody. He's just amazing. And then Russell Brunson, I listen to his marketing podcast. Um, he gives tips on marketing, uh, how to go from obscurity to oversaturation. And one that I watch, I don't know that it's a podcast because I watch him on live and YouTube, is Grant Cardone, uh, How to Next yeah. Your Life. He's amazing. Love Grant Cardone. Yeah. Oh, and the last one I would say, 
Pete Vargas uh, into the green room with PV3. Um, he is amazing. And because of him, I'm now guesting on podcasts almost every other day. I'm also getting on stages. I've perfected my my stage presence. And it's all because of his podcast. It's amazing. So how has speaking been going for you? You just touched on that. I forgot to talk about that earlier. Yeah. So when I first stood up at a speaking event, it was kind of like this Christy Ogle, sometimes spouse, give me a call. I'm a handyman in household service. And now I can do a stage for an hour or more. If I'm training, I can go on for about 10 to 12 hours. So it's helped me perfect my story and connect with people at a level beyond what it was ever before. So to get on a stage, you have, with a stage and a podcast, you have people's captive attention for the full time. Whereas online, it takes them a year to go through 60 minutes of content. On a podcast, people usually do listen to 30 to 45 minutes in one setting. Um, and that's the only really online a place that you've got their captive attention. And when you're face to face with somebody and you're talking to them in a room on a stage, you have their captive attention for 60 plus minutes. So that's the best place and podcast to get your mission, your vision um, of what you're doing out there and how you're going to change the world. So stages are amazing, but very few people do it. And what what and what made you finally take that transition? Was it just listening to the podcast, or had had it been something that you had been considering for a while? It did something that I'd been considering for a while, but I went to 10x Growth Con in uh, Miami, Florida, with Grant Cardone. This and past year. This past year, yes, sir. I was planning on going to that. I should have gone. Yeah, it was amazing, and. Pete Vargas III with Scale to Stage, uh, he was there and he spoke along with Russell Brunson, which I've been a fan of Russell Brunson's for years, but PV3 talked and I fell in love with him. And then I went to another conference and PV3 was there and I got to sit with him for an hour and drill him with questions at a round table event. And then PV3 came out and said he had a conference. So I went to his conference and then I signed up for some of his programs. And uh, that's where I fell in love with stages. And I've had tremendous results with getting on stages, being on podcasts and how it's affected my business. I love that. Mm -hmm. I definitely have to start going to more conferences. I think I'm only at like three a year. I want to get that up. Yeah. What happens at conferences is it puts decades into days. It's just like a book that you read, right? It takes decades of their knowledge and puts it into days. So we don't have to spend all that time going through all those pains. Yeah. So you can just synthesize that information and add it to your wheelhouse. Yes, sir. So a couple more questions. You're in Texas. Which football team do you root for? The Giants. What? Yeah, I'm a huge Giants fan. So, I, a New York Giants. I'm not a Cowboys fan at all. 
Wow. Yeah. So I know you're shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah, like super shocked. Yep. So it's it's uh, been a tough couple years for you. Has <laughs> it? It's a rough start too. It's a rough start. Yeah, it's not. They're they're not doing anything to help Saquon Barkley out yet. It's tough. No, no, it's bad. We thought, you know, with that first play, uh, or it was their first play of the game against the Cowboys last week. We thought, you know, they got a touchdown. We thought, this is our year. But that was the only time that we really thought that was our year so far this year. Because after that, it hadn't been any good. Yeah, I... I think they have enough to build around. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're not a little bit better than they were before. I know they've lost a lot of talent on the team, but I don't know. we lost Odell. Yeah, that I wouldn't trade them. I would have tried to figure that out, but I would have too. <laughs> yeah, you know talent, Christine. <laughs> I do know talent. I knew when they lost Odell, I thought, oh, I hope they got somebody else to fill his shoes, and they haven't yet. Saquon's pretty good, you know. He's a probably a top top ten running back. Top, you know, some people have him top five or something like that. So he's pretty good at his position. But yeah, it's 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 hard in that division. It's not a easy easy win. I'll keep that in mind. Giants fan in Texas. Okay. Yeah. And then um, final question is you. I've asked you a lot of questions. Uh, do you have a question for me? No, I don't. Don't? Great. No. Oh, well. Oh, I lied. One more question. Would you be open to coming back on the Trep Life podcast? Definitely. Anytime. Awesome. Well, we will get out of here and let you get back to running your empire and the uh, sometimes spouse uh era continue may it be blissful and uh full of prosperity well thank you very much i appreciate it pete thank you for coming on the podcast really enjoyed our conversation today i did too you have a great evening you too take care Uh, bye-bye tune in next time welcome to the trep life podcast we will dive into the immersive worlds of entrepreneurship, empowerment, and empathy with an emphasis of hip-hop culture. All of these concepts will be dissected and connected via a historic lens, so prepare for an engaging transformation. Just a friendly reminder, if you are experiencing value and insight from Trep Life, support the movement by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. You are instrumental in our impact and influence on the world. Reviews are greatly appreciated because they help the podcast grow. Here at Trep Life, we wish you peace and vision on your journey.